Hello, everybody. Welcome to RPG Cast, episode 260 for the week of March 30th, 2013. I'm your host, Chris Privetier, here with RPG Gamer's Finest to bring you the week's news in RPG land. Um, let's start off with our resident Canadian, Anna Marie Newfeld. Good morning. And our substitute, Brit, Alex. Uh, uh, what's. Oh, I've lost, I've lost your last name. Alex Fuller. Yeah. There we go. There yeah. we go. I well called you, almost called you Alex Severin. <laughs> In a weird yeah, that works too. mix of fantasy and reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. John, your worth can't be here this week because, I don't know, he got sucked into a mecha universe and he's fighting his way back to reality. And finally... Yeah, that too. And finally, Emmanuel Marino brings us the latest from the West Coast. RB Gamer, a weird mix of fantasy and reality. It's true. <laughs> so how is it in California, eh? Overcast. <laughs> isn't that like what it always is? Oh, wait, no, that's London or San Francisco, isn't it? All right. Yes. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Hello, everybody. Sorry we couldn't be here last week. Anna and I were busy at Midwest Gaming Classic. We were collecting a bunch of stuff that will be integrated into our wedding plans, and I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to spoil it for the people who are going to the wedding, but uh, lots of stuff. And uh, so we were busy the whole weekend with that convention. It was super fun, right, Anna? Yeah, definitely. Um, Anything that we did there that is cool that we should share? We saw lots of old games and old RPGs, but... um, Yeah, I mean, we got a Famicom, which neither of us have owned before. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, let's see. Let, the other thing that happened last week is, of course, Penny Arcade Expo at the same weekend. And uh, we'll talk more about that. But first, let's jump into what we've been playing. And uh, <laughs> I guess the first thing I should say is um, we got that Famicom, so we brought it home and we started playing Famicom games. <laughs> and that was kind of cool. Anna, I cooked. I kicked Anna's butt in Yoshi's Cookie, the Japanese version. Um Famicoms are weird, but cool. So they're top loaders, as opposed to the US NES, which was a front loader, right? Um, except for that later one that cost too much. Um, but it, it, instead of blowing on games and punching up and down on the drive, you kind of have to slide it up and down the top load until it kind of connects right. So it's kind of a different dance you have to do, which I thought was interesting. And the controllers are connected to the system. They don't have ports. The controllers don't disconnect. And the cords are really small. So it like, encourages you to sit like right in front of your TV when you're playing it. Anyway, Almost like it's an old system and you need it to six, sit six inches away from the monitor anyways. Yeah, I guess. No wireless, obviously. Uh, <laughs> the system comes out in the early 80s. What, what did we play that was cool? We played the first Fire Emblem, right? That, that, Which that was, was confusing because cool neither was no one in Japanese. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't really play it much. <laughs> I need a guide. Played Final Fantasy two and Final Fantasy three, um, the Japanese versions. And I, you know, this is like the version of Final Fantasy three that's not like awfully imbalanced and weird like the three D remakes that that keep coming out here. Um, what else? There was something. Else. Oh, we played two Mecha games, two Gundam games. But uh, Quinn isn't here, so I can't. I can't explain them to him. <laughs> we'll have to bring it up next week and see if he can maybe help us out a little bit. <laughs> two very weird strategy games, all with Gundams and producing Gundams on a map. So it was, it was weird. <laughs> 
man, Japan got some strange games, but it was cool. Uh, yeah, and I played some. We bought a, some NES games, um, including Ducktales, which I bought because you know that new announcement last week about uh, the Ducktales remake. So I've been playing through the original Ducktales, and man, that game's still good, and the music's so good. Ducktales, it stands the test of time. I don't know what else should we say. What else did I? I tested a bunch of games. Did we play? Any? Yeah, we played a bunch of like Nintendo games. Like yeah. you've been playing Dragon Quest. Yeah, Dragon Warrior. I never played Dragon Warrior. Um, oh, Funitman Enchantment Mass. If we played Ducktales two, no, Ducktales two is really expensive and hard to find. Um, so no, I'm considering bring, picking up the Japanese version because it costs less, and I now have a Famicom, but uh, I haven't gotten around to that yet. Um, but yeah, played Dragon Warrior for the first time, and that game is really in need of modernization. Is there any modern remakes of Dragon Quest? Um, no, they put it on the Game Boy Color, but they pretty much kept it the exact same. Where you still have to like choose stairs from a menu? Yep. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> it's just so slow. What a grindy game. But I was still having fun with it. I mean, you <laughs> you played later Dragon Quest games. They're all grindy games. But not like that. They just make it more interesting. All right, I guess so. Hmm. Um, what else? More Etrian Odyssey 4. I'm in the third land now. My progress continues slowly. A uh, bunch of World of Warcraft. I'm exalted with that most recent faction, and I've got my little rideable dinosaur, and I've got lots of new items and stuff from raids. And Kings and Legends. I haven't talked about this in a while. I've got an update. Kingsandlegends.com. This is a game that you've done some things with, Anna. But, uh, yeah, they've yeah. got a new update. They overhauled their graphics they made a lot of things easier to find and see and sort through and all the menus added new cards new card packs um so big update there if you were playing that at all and got bored of it go check it out it'll give you some more things to be interested in and that's it for me so i turn it over to let's see who shall i pick here manny no okay (laughs) what do you mean no no? you're just gonna fall more asleep no, waking up. Drinking oh, he's coffee. still waking up. All right. Manny will chug his coffee and get back to us. Alex, would you like to tell us what you've been playing? Well, I guess. It'll have to. Okay. Yeah. Um, I finished off Jade Empire last weekend, which I've, based, I've been playing for the other podcast. So I'll be sort of talking about that. The other podcast who shall not be named. <laughs> Backtrack, yeah. right? Yeah. Which was just named. Uh, but yeah, had a lot of fun with that. I played it on PC this time, but I definitely plugged in the Xbox controller instantly <laughs> on that one. Uh, aside from that, I've been playing Legend of Heroes A Tier of a Million on the PSP, which is not the ones XE did, it's the ones Namco released in the US. They're so and bad. They're a bad job of localization. Uh, Wait, which one is that? Uh, it's the one oh, that, these are the early. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I yeah got hold of a copy of sort of a tier of a million and the third one, which is Song of the Ocean. Mm-hmm. I was basically playing that during my downtime. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's. Uh, I'm actually enjoying them. It's just not very good dialogue. <laughs> 
So, I mean, the worst thing is that you could probably have fixed most of the issues just by reading it once. <laughs> Someone clearly didn't they? <laughs> they didn't uh, bother to proofread it. <laughs> no. Well, so, yeah, they just, just typed it and then moved on. <laughs> and no one saw it again. Uh, and also, I started playing Devil's Five Overclocked because that came out here this week. Finally. So, Good. yay. Yay. Took for, took forever to come out there, didn't it? Yeah. Well, I think yeah, I think it was Ghost Sight's first 3DS games that didn't help. <laughs> I think they're still getting to grips with it, but it's been fun so far. I think I'm about three, four hours in. So still on day one. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I've been playing. <laughs> All right, cool. Those are things to play, and you played them. Good for yep, you. I did. All right. <laughs> Anna, what have you been up to? Um, approving accounts on the Natsume forums. Um, what have I been playing? Um, I started StarCraft II Heart of the Swarm the day it came out, and I finished it last night. Yay! All right, so tell us about Heart, Heart of the Swarm. Oh, I like the ending. Okay, well, don't tell us about the ending. No. Um, so I was really intimidated to play Zerg. Um, when Wings of Liberty came out because there's so many little things you have to micromanage and I still sort of feel that way but having played through the whole game on normal which was a step up from the easy I finished Wings of Liberty on I I get Zerg a lot more. I'm still not playing it optimally because there's lots of times that I'll be sitting there with three hives at nine larvae each but I'm doing much better at remembering how to manage everything at this point. So that was good. It was nice to be able to explore the race a little bit more because I was just too too intimidated to even try it in the first expansion or in the first game. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm really, the way that they set up the story going into the third one, I'm really excited to play it. Yeah, I've heard that from a couple of sources. So, yeah, they they it's cool because I kind of feel like Wings of Liberty was too much of a cliffhanger, mm-hmm. which is why I'm glad I beat it the day before Heart of the Swarm came out. Ah, okay. But this, it's nice. It feels like an all-in-one game that resolves everything that needed to be resolved but still leaves some traction open for, okay, now we have to do this next. Mm-hmm. So that was appreciated. Um, and yes... Um, I really like all of the sort of you can have conversations with people inside of your Leviathan when you're between missions. Yeah. And I like the personalities that they put together. So that was cool. And it was neat hearing um who was doing the voice of my little chicky from Persona Three? Uh I guess. Yeah. I guess was my companion. Yeah. So, and it was also cool just to see a little bit deeper into the structure of the swarm that that Kerrigan set up while she was the Queen of Blades. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just I really liked it. Had really good lore, had really good pacing. Um, if you like StarCraft at all, definitely pick it up. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. If you're yeah. still playing StarCraft, you're going to get you're going to get the new expansion cuz you need to play it online with other people who have it. Right. Um, the nice thing is, is I do definitely think that Heart of the Swarm is a lot more newbie-friendly than I thought it was going to be. They do walk you through. Like, the Zerg is a complicated race to play. I would argue it's, like, way more complicated than Terran, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, but they 
give it to you in a really organized and orderly fashion that you get a, a chance to play with all the units and make sense of them and then you can merge them into what kind of army you want to have. So it probably helps that I've watched professional players because mm-hmm. I was making like um, Mutalisk balls and um, Zerg, Baneling um, balls and I was using those to do my biggest attacks. Cool. So and it was cool having a hero unit. I got Kerrigan to 66 out of 70. Missed four levels. So, And then beyond that, um, I finished Fire Emblem Awakening and I immediately restarted it. Um, there are two ways to end the game and I chose the sacrificial one. Okay. And that should tell people what I'm doing without spoiling it for people that haven't gotten there yet. Okay. But you already restarted it, right? Yes. And I decided to be super, super nerdy. And I made a spreadsheet. About what? For all the people that are going to get married. (laughs) Are you playing Wedding Planner? Yes. Oh. So I have like... um, I have like the spreadsheet and anybody who's in my party is italicized and anybody who's already married is highlighted. And now I've actually started to match up the children. Yeah. I'm a nerd. That's pretty darn nerdy. Yeah. Yeah. And then beyond that, um, because we're doing a March backlog madness on the forums, um, I finished up mystery PI, um, the lottery heist this week. What the heck is that? (laughs) Uh, it's a spin top. Um, um, shoot, who are the people that do PVZ? Popcap. Pop Thank you. Yeah, it's a popcap and spin top um, hidden object game. Wait, so they made a big, it together? Um, well, spin top develops it and popcap publishes it. So they made a bunch of games together. I think there's like four in the series and I've now completed two of them. So, yeah, um, it's nice, but I mean, like most hidden object games, um, I'll play them and then I'll take a big break before playing another one of them. So I was glad to get it out of my backlog, but I'm probably going to wait another month or so before I try to tackle another hidden object game. Okay. And then beyond that, um, Pixel People had a huge update this week. So I had actually gotten pretty close to the max number of um, splices, which I think was about 135 out of 155. Yeah. And they put out a huge, huge, huge expansion this week, which gives you 65 new pixel people and 35 new buildings. And you can do a bunch of really cool stuff like changing the way that you organize your city and flipping buildings and all sorts of really cool stuff. Oh, yeah. And it added questing. Mm-hmm. So I've been having a ton of fun with it, and uh, I suspect I'll be playing that one for a while. Cool. And beyond that, um, (laughs) after a slightly insane race around the city for it, I started playing Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. (laughs) Poor Chris. Yeah. Wait, what's wrong with me? Well, remember we went to Target on Sunday and they didn't have it? Well, they had it, but they only had enough for pre-orders. So the website says all the targets around here have tons of copies. And then you go to the actual store, and they're like, yeah, we're holding 15 copies for reserves. Yeah, Target turned into GameStop. Yeah. And then, of course, Did I made a mistake. Did you pre-order? 
Well, and that's that's the mistake I made is I then called GameStop and I'm like, do you have any copies? And the guy's like, do you have it on reserve? And I sort of felt like I had to resist the urge to snap at him. If I had it on reserve, I would just walk in and get my copy, stupid. Why do you make this sound so fancy, Anna? Reserve, please. Don't class this up. No, he actually asked me if I had a copy on reserve. Like, why well, would do I you have your copy on reserve? Why, why would I ask? Why would I call and ask if you had any copies available for sale? If I had one on reserve, I'd just go in and buy it. Game. Not even we say reserve. Hmm? That's what I'm saying. Classy. Not it even up. we say. Yeah, not even we say reserve. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm saying. All right. Yeah. And this guy's posh. This guy would know. <laughs> so none of the targets had it. None of the game stops had it. So we decided for fun that we'd check at Best Buy, and Best Buy had like three dozen copies. Yeah. They uh, are. Did the like, one at Best Buy ask you if it was on reserve? No, we actually reserved it on the way to Best Buy. <laughs> so that was cool. And the guy that was uh, the guy that checked us out helped us with our shop kick as well. Yes. Because apparently his mom is like a serious shopkicker. So that was cool because we'd never met anybody who knew what shopkick was before then. So I don't know what it is now. Um, <laughs> it's an app that um, you get kicks. They're points. And you can save up the points to give certificates at participating stores like Best Buy and Target and Old Navy and blah, 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 blah. And like um, Sprinter, AT&T, I don't remember one of those stores. So basically I, the idea of the app is you get kicks just for walking it. And then you points. will get right points. And then you will get a list of things anywhere from 3 to 30. And if you scan the barcode on that item, you will get additional kicks, more points. So it's kind of like scavenger hunt for nerds. Yep. And, and single, or excuse me, 40-year-old women who want discounts. <laughs> Yes, apparently there is a big mom section of Shopkick. So, yeah, that was cool to meet someone else that knew what Shopkick was. And I think that's all I've been really been punching a lot of time I, into this. I think that's enough, don't you? Yep. <laughs> so what have you been playing, Chris? Oh, no, wait. I already you talked about it. It's Manny's, it's Manny's turn. He's finally I'm out curious of- about one thing, though. What's up? You guys didn't have good stories from uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. Um, Friday night... We got some pictures of people that were going to um, the group that we normally hang out, the PlayStation Nation and Retroids and um, Grumpy Old Gamers. They uh, they rented a bus. So there was two dozen of them, including two guys from Denmark that loved the podcast and flew in to meet them. Um, they like all got on a bus, bus and went to a karaoke bar and got completely wasted because no one had to drive. Is this what you guys do at your gaming conventions? Well, this Midwest? is what they we do. didn't go. We yeah, did, we, we was, went to dinner and then we went back to the hotel. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool. That was a really really good idea. I because they'd never done that before, and I thought that was just a neat idea. Um, we didn't really do a lot of the sort of air quote extracurricular activities at MGC because well, we, we did were, the, the Saturday this, night, night uh, retroids dot com party. All oh, right. And, which I stayed at a lot longer than you, but yes. But there's more people getting trashed, but then some people, some people are smart and they use it to get some good gaming time in. So I was playing uh, Hot Shots World Golf Invitational on my Vita. The new expansion pack came out, so they got three more courses and more golfers. So I was playing that with someone most of the night, and it was really fun to play 
the game is really fun to play, obviously, but uh, it's really fun to also play uh, local multiplayer on it. And the Midwest Gaming Classics, one of the few chances I have. Did you and put any dollars on the game or something? I'm sorry. Some dollar oh bets. no, we didn't. No, no, we didn't make it um, "quote unquote" interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Last year when I went to that party, there was a bunch of girls from like a girls and moms podcast that I got to hang out with, and this year they weren't there. In fact, the only girls that were there besides me were, they were two there girls. The next that day. I, yeah. But at the party, the only girls that were there were two girls that they picked up at the bar. Hashtag one reason why. Yeah. And Wait, one Chris, reason why what? Chris was monopolizing everybody that was sober, so the party was really boring for me. So I just went back to the room. I was. I was, wasn't I? Yeah. Sorry. I'm okay. Yeah, I mean, you know them and I don't, so that's the way it rolls. I barely know them. Eh, and I didn't have a Vita to play with you guys. It was also incredibly noisy in there. Mm-hmm. So how oh, all the pinball machines in the no, they machines. they had like a big stereo set up and like eight speakers. So it was very very loud in there between the people and the music and the pinball machines. Was it a little empty this year since GDC was going on going on at the same time? Uh, packs and no, not really. I mean, oh, you're right. Like this was two end. weeks ago. These are very different crowds. Yeah, this is a much pe- more local crowd that comes yeah. to Midwest Gaming Classic, and they're not the sort of people who are going to fly out to San Francisco. Well, except for Anna. And or I, Boston. Would actually, right? or, or, yeah, yeah, it would be Boston. Yeah, it's a little confusing, both back to well, back. Well, and I say that, except for the two people from Denmark who flew in to hang out with the PlayStation Nation guys. Man, super fans. I must give this podcast a listen if it's that good. People are going to fly out from Denmark. Its community is crazy, or, or is very solid. That, that's what it really has. It's, you know, the podcast is decent, but then the, it, they've just built this amazing community. And so that's what's going on there. They have game nights, I'm sure, like every week, all that kind of stuff. Yep. yep. Cool. Very cool. strong cool. forums and all that. Um, let's see, what else? It's your turn, Manny. All right, cool. There you go, people. I got you some stories from Midwest Gaming Classic. Uh, just playing some Devil Summoner. Game is long. It's too long. I'm like 20 hours in. I'm barely in Chapter Are 3 of 9. Are you starting to regret this? It's just long. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just used to modern games, like modern, like shorter RPGs where I've been like, like I would have finished all of Batman Arkham Asylum by now. Or Arkham City and done all the stuff and even been like, man, I probably spent too much doing, time doing side quests as Catwoman. But okay, it was a pretty good experience. It was pretty good. Give that game an A. And then, you know, move on, right? Right, right. <laughs> oh, like barely into chapter three. And, um, well, I, I guess my biggest, huh, well, I guess right now I'm at a point where there are these, every new moon, these fiend enemies... It's like this whole game is based on luck. Like this weird luck system where you're gathering luck lo- locusts so you're getting attacked and your luck is lowering. And the lower your luck, the more bad things that can happen to you. And uh, uh, there's these super powerful boss monsters called fiends who will attack you on every new – who have a chance of attacking you every new moon. And they're so bad that you can't escape from fight. All you can do is negotiate with them and try to placate them by like sac- – They'll be like they'll ask for like your most expensive stuff, or they'll ask for like a sacrifice of one of your best demons just to leave you alone, or you have to go in there and fight them. And the bad thing is because it happens like there's a chance for these guys to show up at like every new moon 
you know, it's like whenever you walk around, there's like a little, and like most SMT games, there's like a little thing in the corner, and it kits down between new moon, half moon, full moon. As you walk around. So you have this chance every new moon for these guys to show up and attack you, whether you're ready for it or not. Just like, hey, this new moon, surprise boss fight. I don't care what you were doing or if you're ready for it. Let's go. So I kept on getting trapped into a few of these things, and I said, that's it. I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to hang around the save point. I'm going to get ready. I'm just going to wander around until it's time. I'm going to beat it. Well, thankfully, once you beat one of them, they never show up again. But there's like eight. There's like eight of them, though. (laughs) And they're all progressively harder. Yeah. So the first, so you know, it's like you may not be ready. You may be like, okay, I'm gonna get this, this demon, I'm gonna fuse these two together, and then I'm gonna fuse these two together. Okay, I'm gonna get this plan ready because I want to get this one. So you know, you know, you may not necessarily be ready for a boss fight as if you would be. It's like, okay, there's a save point. I can see the boss over there. I'm gonna get ready. So that's a big annoyance. But I, I killed the first one. Only like six or seven more to go. <laughs> they harassing me, and the story is finally starting to pick up. Uh, I'm starting to figure out what this stuff is really about, and nine more chapters to go. <laughs> nine more chapters. <laughs> That's just long. It's long. Now you played right. this before, right? No, first time. Oh, okay. For some reason, so, I thought you had. All right. No, I played the first one. It's interesting, though. They can tell they really didn't have much of a budget because I can see them taking shortcuts that they've never taken before. Like, uh, there's, like, this big labyrinth dungeon. And rather than render the cave, like, you know, pre, you know, it's, like, basically... The reason why the game still looks good is because it's pre-rendered backgrounds and just, like, you know, a few 3D models walking on those pre-rendered backgrounds. So it still looks pretty decent for, you know. But I think they just didn't have as much money. So, the, you know, they clearly used most of the assets from Devil Summoner 1. And then when they had to make new ones, I think they only made the key ones that they needed to make to tell their story. Because in this dungeon, it's like I've never seen this view in an SMT game. Is uh, the dungeon is laid out like a maze on a map, like on a like a two D maze on a map. You know the kind that you draw a pencil through, and then your character is seen from complete overhead view. And he's as he walks around this dungeon, I'm like, oh, I guess you guys really didn't have that big of a budget, did you? <laughs> and it's like the only time they ever like drop down to this t- overhead view is just for this one dungeon. I was like, well, it's the same cave. We can get away with this. So that's my Devil Summoner report for the week. All right. Thanks for keeping us up to date. Ah, uh, so. Fiend harassment. So let's get into feedback. Sorry, everybody's phone down here goes off. All right. So let's get into feedback. First letter is from Joe. Who simply writes in and says, Hey, RP Gamer, had an idea as you were discussing pre-orders and game cost versus playtime. I think that one of the tensions I'm always faced with is I can really argue that an Uncharted game that lasts only around 10 to 12 hours um, is the same value as something like Skyrim, which can potentially last 10 times longer. I usually deal with this by simply waiting until the shorter game's cost comes way down. I bought Uncharted 3 for around 18 bucks, So I asked myself, what would motivate me to actually pull the plug on some of these shorter games earlier? Like, for example, Tomb Raider. While they are still at full price... Uh, so here's my idea. Instead of some stupid plushy dollar or even a special avatar download, 
why don't they release a special code that unlocks all future DLC as pre-order bonus? Granted, you wouldn't know how much extra content that you just purchased, but at least you wouldn't be faced with a series of $10 charges down the line. I can see this as being a cool motivating factor because you wouldn't want to miss out on what could potentially save you a ton of money. It seems like instead they release secondary copies of the games, which include all the DLC anyway, like the Game of the Year edition of Uncharted 3. So since they give it eventual, since they give it away eventually... Why not give it away for free to your day one players instead of to cheapskates like me? I could see it being a strategy that would encourage early purchasers um, as well as even create space for an episodic game release. What do you think? Um, I I think think that there's a bunch of companies already doing it because you can buy a season pass. Yeah, so I'm saying they don't have to give it to you for free because the people who are the most excited will buy the game day one. They'll pre-order to get the pre-order DLC and then they'll buy the season pass on top of that. Boom. Okay. That's kind of depressing. Well, they don't have to. That's just, I mean, we like to think of these companies as like, you know, all oh, these guys are gamers, they get it. Well, there's also executives who, who have to show profit for their stockholders. So, And I mean, the problem is, is the time to money ratio only, I think we overblow how many people purchase based on the time to money ratio. I mean, Tomb Raider sold three and a half three and a half million physical copies that doesn't include not, yeah. digital copies not only that though it's the best selling tomb raider and like with week one sales that they've ever had and i mean we see this every year where it's like madden makes more sales than ever before or call of duty makes more sales than ever before i mean these are games that yeah okay the multiplayer aspect is what's sucking people in but the single player story may only take 5 to 8 hours and there are people that are buying it just for that they're not buying it for the multiplayer i think maybe the good the, probably the best reason you would want to buy a game full price of 60 dollars is to be with that multiplayer community day one but then again that game is pretty much endless right that's whatever time you want to put into it but as far as like single player stories go like let's say bioshock infinite is not exactly <laughs> sorry that was not that was a mistake go ahead the highlighting my argument <laughs> yes <laughs> ah stop it all right i've killed it i've killed it get it <laughs> I was just saying, like, look at Bioshock Infinite. I'm sure, like, what's the talk? That's like a 12 to 15 hour game, 20 on the on the outside. But people are buying that right now because they don't want the story spoiled for them. They want to be part of the community. They want to be part of the discussion going on around the game. Also, the- everyone that I know that's played Bioshock Infinite is like, I finished it. Okay, going to go play it a second time. So while the first playthrough is going to be 12 to 15 hours, I mean, you're going to play it another time for 5 to 15. Oh. So you could be getting up to 30 hours out of it. Yeah, that reminds me of like people who are complaining about uh, Metal Gear Rising's Revengeance. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance's length, and I was like, the game's only six hours. I mean, if I replay it three times, it's only gonna be. You know, it's like people say that with a straight face, like, oh, it's only gonna be like, oh, it's only six hours. I mean, even if I re- even when I replay it four times to get everything and see all the endings. Well, and I was initially really surprised at how short Fire Emblem Awakening was. Like, honestly, I could have blown through that game in 20 hours. I finished it in 30. And I think I played like 50 hours in most of the other Fire Emblems that I played. And then I realized, no, wait, it's because I'm going to play it a second time. But I think they take that into consideration when they make some of these games. It's like, how many times are you going to replay it? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I like that because, you know, it may be a shorter game, but everything you do matters more. There's more consequences to, the, to your actions. A lot. Everything just matters more. So you want to go back and see it again. Like, Well, uh, another thing to remember with Fire Emblem in particular is the way some people like Michael and I play Fire Emblem is we put it on normal mode where people can die, but we always restart maps if people do die. So oh. that's how, where we find the challenge to be, and that makes the game take a lot longer. Oh, yeah, and a lot of people play like that. A lot. Yeah, it's traditional Fire Emblem style. <laughs> but you, you know, say it's I, traditional, but there's a well, lot of classic. gaming media who don't seem to know that. <laughs> They're like, well, oh, yeah, I'm just going to take the deaths, or that, I'm just going to play it hardcore, and people die, people die. And then other people are like, well, I really like this casual mode, because I wouldn't want people to die. Oh, yeah. Nobody's really considering the idea of restarting maps. Like, not an option, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I played old Fire Emblem games, I restarted maps so somebody died. Which added phenomenal amount of time to the game and now you're playing casual and i'm okay with that all right yeah don't let anyone make you feel bad anna you play games for different reasons from other people so as well, long as you get here's fulfilled. here's the thing is that people who sort of look down their nose at casual mode still i find that a lot of them don't seem to grasp the fact that it's still harder when you lose somebody because you lose somebody just because they come back at the next fight doesn't mean that you haven't lost them for that fight. And that's what can make some of those maps super, super challenging. I, but yeah, they're, I, they're restarting so they have the uh, full confidence for the entire battle. I don't know. When, you, when you're three-fourths <laughs> through a map and you lose one person and because you don't want to lose anybody, you have to start over your save versus on casual where you lose that one person, but it's okay. You still have an overwhelming force to finish the map off. I think casual makes it easier in that situation. It does. So, like, between the struggle of thinking, do I want to restart or do I let this person die, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of depends on when they die as well. I mean, if they die early, then the casual players, it's probably a bit more difficult for them. If they die late, then the classic player is very annoyed. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So, Chris, would you restart in every single situation? Yeah, oh, would yeah. it be a case where? Oh no! Okay, I, his sacrifice was worthy. No, I always restart because you yeah. lose story if you if you, people die. Yeah, in traditional Fire Emblems, like before this one, if I lost anybody, I restarted. You know, I kind of wish though. I kind of wish, in a, in a in a weird way, that they would just save after a person died, it, just because the person. So like here's here's how it worked, is um. Like, particularly, I'm trying to remember which Fire Emblem game this started. I think it was part of the Game Boy Advance era that um, the game would sort of autosave as you were doing battles. So you couldn't go back to the last turn in the battle. You would have to start the battle completely over. Yeah, the GBA one definitely had that. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the DS one did too. But I mean, like, more like the person, sort of like the person died and you can't do anything about it. Oh, yeah, so, so you can't restart the. Well, I guess in the sense that maybe you make the game. You always give people a way to beat like them. Like there's always a replacement coming, no matter what. But then just sort of keep them going through the game. Like okay, all these I'm gonna play again. Like so, like maybe every single time encourages you to play the game. Maybe it's a little bit shorter, a little bit like maybe even it doesn't have to be like a main fire, like a side room where when people die they're dead, and then it's sort of 
maybe a 10 hour like war story and it's like a really tight and emotional 10 hours for you because all these people you cared about maybe half of them die and half of them live so that ending's a little bit bittersweet so you want to go through it again and you have like different people survive and you have different stories and interactions and different marriages because of that you know sort the of like thing is, is you're talking about fire emblem awakening on classic because at the the end, fire emblem because at the end of fire emblem awakening basically during the credits you basically get a roll call and it goes through everybody who got married, everybody who died, everybody who didn't make any connections. Like um, in the first time I played through, there were like some characters that I got relatively late in the game. And I'm air quoting late because it's like not that late. <laughs> I mean, mission 12 out of 20, but I played for, you know, I made, I made those eight missions into 10 hours. And it was like some of these people in their postscript got like two sentences. Because I didn't use them, they didn't establish any relationships with anybody in the party. Mm. So, um, so if they die, what Manny's describing is Iron me. Man mode in XCOM, right? Well, yeah. a little less punishing because I feel like you can really screw yourself in Iron Man mode where you just don't have enough money to go oh, okay. forward. But more like just like you know, oh, this guy died, but then another character gets slotted in. I, but I'm basically advocating is like a much shorter XCOM to sort of accommodate, you know, all because if it's like a still like a thirty or forty hour XCOM, I mean, uh, thing, and all of your, you know, all of the mages you can possibly get or the healers you can possibly get die, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, that's a good but, point. And that's so why yeah, some just, people have an issue with classic mode because that can happen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm talking about like a smaller, like a shorter experience where that probably not a possibility, but then you want to replay multiple times because of the, the option. Right. I mean, I think the problem is, is sometimes luck is so mercurial in Fire Emblem. Yeah. Like, I've seen guys that have a 1% crit chance kill my guy with a crit. Oh, random number generator. How dare you? Right. I hear you. And I mean, don't forget that if your two main characters um, are defeated in Fire Emblem, it's game over. No matter what mode you're playing on. If Krom dies or if your unit dies, game over. I wonder if uh, games like XCOM and Fire has sort of like – because I, I know this is a lot of people's first Fire Emblem because it's getting such such buzz around the internet. So I'm wondering if like games like XCOM are, are training people to be like, well, it's okay if a character dies every now and then. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll go into Fire Emblem from XCOM and they'll all just maybe they play Fire Emblem and XCOM and be like, oh, it's sad that guy died. You will be avenged. <laughs> you will be avenged. All right. Yeah. Oh, well, this just reminds me of how uh, Peter Molyneux always used to say, like, remember in a, f- a fable when it was first coming out, whenever you would get attacked, your character would fall down and get horribly scarred. Yes. It would inter- but they ended up taking that out in the end because they learned that characters would restart the entire system to avoid getting a star, uh, like a star. single scar. Yep. Yeah, so I, like, I think we as gamers, we in theory, we want all these like reactive and emotional and like, these systems that sort of affect us and the way we play. But the truth comes, if something bad might happen, we just restart the entire thing if we have to. Yep. Ah, we're a fickle bunch. Yes, we are. Anna, is this your Pokemon strategy guide sitting on my thing here? Is this Possibly. Is it yellow? Yeah. That's yours. Oh, it's Wait. mine? Where the hell did I have this? Um, yeah. In your manga buckets. Oh, that's right. 
<laughs> I have an original Pokemon strategy guy. Maybe I'll send that to Saba. He likes Pokemon. It's in your manga buckets? Yeah, I have manga buckets. I have I have manga buckets. I'm behind on my Shonen Jump magazine. I just like the idea. Hey, Chris, take a get, get your manga bucket. There's an emergency. Get your manga bucket. That's, that's my version of the bug out kit. So grab my bucket, manga bucket. I'm ready for anything. We have the mangas. Good stuff. I think we have a title. <laughs> manga buckets. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, all right. Let's. Next letter is from Oh Ocelot already. He writes in and says, Dear Castle Crashers. He's already used that intro, I think, before. You ever get the feeling that you've played a few too many games in the past week? No. <laughs> Didn't think so. The best strategy RPG that most... My cat just stuck his head in a small box. All right. The best strategy RPG that most people have probably not heard of but should play. What is it? I can think of two off the top of my head that people have I mean, heard it's of. It's a fire emblem before. <laughs> I can think of two. Valkyria Chronicles, where I think the mainstream... I think we heard of it, and a lot of us, and a lot of people who visit RPG Gamer like it, but I think a lot of people at large would enjoy a game like that but never, got, never played it. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh... I would say From Mission 3, which was a fun little uh, small tactical strategy RPG with a like cool – like it's a strategy RPG that's different from a lot of ones. And that's why it's, I think it's still – I remember it fondly is because in, in an era where most strategy RPGs were all pure fantasy or dealing with like religious themes or magic and all this other stuff, this one was just uh, this like weird crisscrossing story with politics and double cross and shadowy organizations. And there was like two stories in one and it had some pretty good tactics and customization, but because it was – a side story in the From Mission series, it was really accessible to new people who n- maybe never played 1, 2, or Gun Hazard, or Alter, whatever. So, And th- that game is available on PSN if you want to give it a, sh- give it a shot. So those are my two picks. Wait, From Mission 3, you said? Yeah. Oh, but that's a mainline series, isn't it? Yeah, it but was, but uh, story-wise, it, they decided not to, because by that point, there was like, the story was so convoluted. There was like the USN and the blah, 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 fighting over this island called the Huffman. And there was like Huffman Island and blah, blah, blah. So this one, they said, okay, we just set this one in Japan. And because of that, like story-wise, it was more like off to the side. But, you know, all that they, they still accepted the canon of the full universe. But because they were set off in like in a region they never really explored before, they were able to tell their own story sort of free of all the baggage of the rest of the series. Okay. And gameplay-wise, they sort of made it a little bit more streamlined, a little bit easier. So it was like a great starting point for anyone to jump into. Cool. All right. From Mission 4, on the other hand, was not like that. And <laughs> I had no clue what the hell was going on. And it was just, ugh, what a terrible game that was. Um, I would say uh, Jean d'Arc if they haven't played it. That's right. That poor game got no. It was such a good game. No one played it. I have it. I haven't yeah, played oh, it. I have yet. it. Yep, yeah, that's it. what I'm talking about. Even the people <laughs> who bought it never played it. Oh, I only bought it two months ago. It's I think really I bought it sometime last year. It's a really solid level five strategy RPG. Uh, I would say, like the story, you, you know, it's surprisingly good. John Dark, they take it in an interesting place. It has all the level, level five stuff you'd expect, like crafting and like weird characters, and it's bright and colorful. Cell shit. It's a good game, absolutely. And something for it to use in your uh, PSP or Vita. Yeah, it's on PSN for like ten dollars. RPG you most enjoy or enjoyed playing while someone else was spectating and cheering you on. That exists. 
Catherine. <laughs> Catherine, yes. I love cheering you on while you played Catherine. Because then That's I got to see all the good story scenes and you had to play all the terrible block puzzles. Edge. Edge? Oh, yes. Edge. <laughs> I like the block puzzles. Oh, you're the only one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> do you have Do you have an answer? Uh, I did play um, Final Fantasy Nine, but I think that, that was sort of half cheating because we were doing the um, one person sort of controls two characters, so sort of using the sort of I say multiplayer, but it's basically just in battles, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I had, had a lot of fun doing that. So sort of I was, I think first time I got stuck being player two. <laughs> But I fun watching that, so that was good. Cool. Um, what did I do? Yeah, I did a little bit of that when I was playing Final Fantasy uh, VI back in the day when it originally came out. Um, I don't know. It's weird. I think an RPG is too long to sit like have someone like seriously like, "Hey, I'm going to sit here behind you for the next hundred hours and watch you finish Fallout 3. Yeah. <laughs> you know, need a shorter RPG. You have yeah. one that you're not thinking about, Chris. That's super long. Tales, Skyrim. Skyrim. Oh, you watched me play Skyrim, didn't you? I helped wow. you make Simon. Huh? I helped oh, you, you helped make me Simon. Name, you helped me name my character. <laughs> That's what I will bring people in for. I'll usually bring it like someone will come in like, so what do you think of this character? It looks pretty good. Does it look like me? Like, yeah, it looks pretty good. You want to <laughs> be a cat this time, though? Okay, yeah. Would that be me if I was a cat? Like, yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> as a cat. <laughs> totally you, you know, as a cat. Just like stuff like that. I'll do that totally. <laughs> I love that there's an answer to that. All right. Uh, number three, controversial topic. Are games too violent nowadays? Do we have too many games that essentially come down to playing violent death tag with swords, guns, or missiles? Note, I'm not saying that games cause violence or anything like that. I'm just wondering if too many of our games have the same goal, i.e. kill someone or something, and are not varied enough or have enough gameplay elements that don't involve death and destruction. You know- I work on Harvest Moon. I th- it's interesting that you asked. I think you probably asked this in a lot better way than people like NPR are asking it, or like just any other news organization. Because I recently listened to an NPR story not too long ago, oh, where no. the entire thing is why are games so or like this is weird sort of story about why games are too violent. I can't remember the exact logic, but the entire article was written from this perspective of someone who clearly had no idea what a video game was, or like what or the way we think of video games. Or like a, a normal gamer would. Because then they went to like this place and started asking them. It's like, oh, why do you like this game? Oh, because I get to shoot this guy and his head explodes. And it was this weird like closing statement where like, the, well, regardless of the fact. Uh, you know what? Let me find this. I'm gonna, it's much better if I quote this directly. Chris, I'll let you go. Okay. I can uh, find this in one minute. Yeah. Uh, I would say yes is my answer to the question. Um, I think that there are too many games that focus just on blowing stuff up and killing things. Um, and that's why I love and flock to the games that are just different and, and music games and puzzle games and stuff like that. Um, but And quirky games from Japan, too. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, it, what are we going to replace it with? And that's always the issue. The well, problem I don't is- think it's necessarily that games are... I think it's because, in a lot of ways, this industry is still marketed to young males, like... 15 like even if yeah. we're not really making the game for the 15 year old you you basically think we have the emotional development of a 15 year old yeah you know and i just think of like have you ever seen those old commercials like that like this like with uh kids are running around playing cowboys and indians or cops and robbers and they're playing with like guns that look so realistic that you would get shot today holding it right or like with gi joe play sets when everyone is i, I think there's just this 15 year old this thing that they think about gamers well 
there's a 15-year-old boy. They like playing war, like playing cops and robbers. And in other sense, too, like when you – it's one of the easiest interactions you can make on a screen is just basically playing virtual tag with a gun. Have you point at something, you click and you point at something, you push a button and something happens. It's like the most right. easy reactive thing you can do and it's easily understandable and it's easily like visceral. Like, okay, hit you with this gun. Oh, I hit that guy with the gun. T- touch. Something happened. I'm rewarded for it. But uh, I don't really necessarily have a problem with games that have violence if it's what they need to do to tell their story or to set the world or – are there, but I think maybe the thing is, are we making too many games for the same audience? And is that one audience? Well, it's, and it's, ha- isn't it more a problem of figuring out another way to interact with a game besides shooting or some yeah. variation on the, shooting? And and the, really, and so the reason we have all the the destruction and stuff is we need these games that are all interacting with shooting to differentiate themselves from each other. So who's going to be more realistic? Who's going to have bigger explosions? Who's going to have better cutscenes? Um, but Really, it comes down to everything is just shooting in one way or another, and then because that's an easy interaction that people that you know that you can expand upon like in any easily understand. I get that. Like, and you're right. It became an arms race, and it looks like from the outside, all gamers like doing is killing people. Like, it's funny. Like, here's the uh, NPR article I read, and like little story, and it was just I thought it was just I kind of reject. The notion and where they're going with it, because I feel like they don't even really understand that. Like when, a, like when you talk to a, like a real game, like just your average gamer, or just anyone that you're not playing these games because you you love bathing in the blood of your enemies, so to speak. <laughs> wow. No, I mean, it's serious. But if you read the story, you you think that's why we're playing games is because we're like, yeah, kill him, kill him. But like, okay, it's called video game violence. Why why do we like it, and what's it doing to us? So I sort of like. I, remember, I read a Ben Kuchera article not too long ago where he's like, we should, and in some ways, should be re- rejecting the question and rephrasing it. Because, like, look at the, here's the end. Uh, and to circle back to our first conversation, there is one thing for certain: violence sells. And half the top ten, on the half the top ten best-selling games of 2012, the main objective was taking lives. And I think that's that's false because the main objective isn't taking lives. Like that's like. It's like saying the main objective of the James Bond movie was James Bond killing people. The main objective of the Michael Bay, you know, thriller The Rock was killing people and taking lives. Or the main objective of this summer action flick is taking lives. That's not what these – I mean when you're playing Call of Duty, you're, you're basically playing virtual tag with someone. And it's like not this notion in your brain's like, yeah, I'm so satisfied taking lives. Or when you're trying to stop Mendez from taking over the world with his drone strikes or whatever, you're not going like, oh, I took some lives today. It was a pretty good experience. You know, it's, it's much in the same way as the summer blockbuster. You're there because you're like, oh, I need to, I need to stop this terrorist from taking over, from destroying New York City. I got to stop him and save the world. <laughs> you know, so like, and, and the mind space of person who's actually playing the game, you, your, your objective is never, oh, I'm, I'm going to kill some people today. That's my point. You know, your objective is save the world, stop the terrorist, save the princess, or stop the alien invasion, or whatever, you know, whatever contrivance you can think of. But I think from the outside, if you don't really know what you're if, – if you don't really have any experience with the game, do you think, oh, all these people are doing is killing it, and they're reveling in it, and that's the whole point of this game? All right. <laughs> no, I just feel like we, in a, in, a, in a weird sense, when these people ask us, like, "Why do you like violent games?" or like, "I think violence is an easy interaction to do," 
and it's it serves the, the greater objective of like I need to stop this terrorist. How am I going to do that? I need to I need to go into his base and blow it up and stop his forces or stop you know. But and I, I think it's a much bigger conversation than, than is more simply put than like we like killing people and half of those games like is, let us kill people. Right. All right. I don't know. I've been thinking about that subject for a while. Yes. You gave me an opportunity to talk about it. <laughs> I'm glad you did. All right, let's keep moving. With EA CEO John Rich and Chillin' Out, <laughs> his name is Riccatello, not Rich and Chillin'. Uh, how much would they have to pay you to take over as the head of EA? There is um, not a monetary dollar amount in this world. Well, I think that's the issue. It's like. How much? Uh, how many salary guarantees or stock option guarantees do you get so that even when you're forced to leave, you still make a lot of money out of it? Because, heck, I mean, if they're going to give me a five hundred thousand dollars salary and or or more, and you know, I, I get to lead it for a year or two, yeah, why not? I get to say I led EA, and and you know, this is how I damage the company. You're pricing yourself too low, man. CEOs make millions and millions of dollars, especially I know, but if that's why they're going to pick me because I'm the budget choice. Okay, no, but like. Everyone's like people are giving like no John McAtillo is leaving EA a millionaire like every other like most CEOs in this country they're paid yeah ridiculously well yeah I think if you have the, the opportunity to, to be a CEO you take it do what you can to fix things and when you're eventually fired eh, oh well you made a lot of money on it yeah well you're not really fired you you resign Chris yeah so that's down. right you do re- you resign and then you get a job somewhere else because you just were the CEO of EA yeah. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I mean, even if this guy never works again, because no one wants to hire him in quotes. Ooh, actually, oh, I'll do they, they only have to pay me $1. So it's one of those things where you take the $1 salary, but you get like millions of dollars in stock options. I'll do the $1 salary with the millions of dollars in stock options. So that's what they have to pay me. So I have a $1. But, you know, you make it sound like EA's like the cesspool of evil, where if we go in, we're well, just going to be the new devil. They're getting that that annual survey about the worst companies in America. They're getting pretty high in the in the in the bracket on that. I think gamers are too entitled because there are companies like this. The year that EA won that was like the same year there was a Deepwater Horizon. Oh, I'm accident. saying they might they might get it again this year. Is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm and I'm saying there were companies who were foreclosing on people who had paid their mortgages. Yeah, and we, you're right. And we, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't take that to you know, but like, but the, the, he he phrases this question as if EA is the cesspool of evil, and if we went there, we become the new devil. But like, like, wouldn't as a gamer, wouldn't you want to go there and maybe help write the ship, give games like a uh, Dead Space a chance, give them you know, maybe say we don't we don't need to put microtransactions in every game, or you know, like little things where like I can make this company profitable again. But here's what I would do. We're not going to try to cu- we're not going to try to chase Activision numbers and try to be Call of Duty. We're not going to try to you know you know what I'm saying. We're not going to try to beat WoW. Basically, well, we're not going to try to beat Activision. That's why he gave us the uh, the question so that we can pick a low number if we just want to make a make things better. I just don't want to work in a company that big. Oh, oh, I, I know it's just weird. Like it was just phrased in a way where it sounds like, <laughs> would you ever want to work there? I don't know. <laughs> All right, number five, Blizzard just announced this, and he puts in a link to uh, Hearthstone, Heroes of Warcraft. Um, what is the world coming to? I think I think Activision's being Activision. They want some of that free-to-play money. Yeah, so Blizzard announced their free-to-play card game. It's an online card game. Um, you can play it on Mac, PC, and uh, iPad when they when they release this stuff. Uh, we don't 
of course, have release date because it's a Blizzard Blizzard product. Um, it's a card game. You collect cards and and cards and cards. And you cards? can buy card packs. And there's like card randomly. packs. Yes. So I, there'll be it's a free to play. So there'll be ways for you to spend money on it because that's what free to play means that you're spending money on it. Um, otherwise, you could just play the game and collect cards. You're going to play against other people. Um, uh, you're going to play against a campaign, the, the computer, and a single player campaign. You're going to collect. Um, did I mention cards that you're going to collect and new heroes that you get to play as? Um, they even showed um, Jaraxxus in the raid boss. Uh, you start off as a gnome hero, and then you summon Jaraxxus. He destroys your hero, and then he takes over he, as your new hero and then says, you face Jaraxxus. And people who raid might get a kick out of that, and everyone else doesn't know what I'm talking about. And uh, let's see. Yeah, it's Hearthstone, and you can watch a video of it, and there's some some uh, some commentary from a live play session they did at PAX or something as well. You know, I think you made a very, you were very observant, Chris, when you said that uh, they, Blizzard just announced a new game, yet everyone's sitting here talking about DuckTales. Yes, <laughs> that's true, because then the same day DuckTales was announced, and all I saw on Twitter was people commenting on DuckTales, not in the new Blizzard game. Nobody really cares. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll play Hearthstone, I'm looking forward I'm sure, to it. I'm but sure it'll be very, DuckTales very is bigger sensitive. news. <laughs> no, but nobody was like, oh, hey guys, have you heard about Hearthstone? People want to hear about Titan, their new MMO. So, oh well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this hey, brings us. Wait, that reminds me. Wasn't Blizzard Dota supposed to come out with Heart of the Swarm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. They, as, I as think well they announced new... a while back that that just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, a lot of things Jeez. just not happening there. Um, I, I, I lost track when they announced a while back that it was going to happen with it. Yeah. Ah, oh, these people. Oh, people! All right, so right here we're gonna we're gonna take a little break from the live podcast and play for you a segment from someone who hasn't been on the show for a while. But I'm gonna leave it as a surprise to you. Here we go. Hello, my name is the legendary Zoltan. Zoltan, and welcome to my legendary game review. It's Weeaboo time. Today's game is Tales of Vesperia. Released for the PS3. August 7th, 2008. This is a traditional Japanese RPG developed by the Namco Tail Studio. Speaking of stuff that's legendary, wasn't this game a legendary disappointment to PS3 owners in the West? That's right. This is the RPG for which Microsoft bought exclusive rights to the English version and thusly was only localized for the Xbox 360. Boo! 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 As you all know, I play the PS3 exclusively, which means I had to play this game entirely in Japanese. Da 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 dun dun sushi time. Uh, that melody is Chinese, not Japanese. Oh, okay. Da 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 dun dun air pollution time. Playing an RPG in Japanese was a pretty intimidating task at first. But in the end, I managed to figure out all the important stuff. And let me tell you, all those people who say JRPGs are dying need to play some Tales games. So it's a good game? I think it's an excellent game, but let's start at the beginning and let the audience decide for themselves. Insert the Blu-ray into your PS3. Yeah, and the first thing you see is anime characters with Big ass eyes and no mouths. Anime. Pretty boring and emotionless pop rock song accompanies the opening cinema. Is it by Tom Petty? Okay, it's not completely void of emotion. It's by Japanese artist Bonnie Pink, and it is utterly eclipsed 
by the music that plays directly after it because it's by Motui Sakuraba. Yes, I love Motui Sakuraba. In fact, you might say I'm a Motui Sakuraba. To be honest, the popular opinion is that tail soundtracks are very vanilla sounding. Yeah. Ciao. No, not vanille sounding, vanilla sounding. But there are always at least a couple of tracks that blow everybody away, like this one. Every time this song plays, all the female JRPG lovers melt in ecstasy. Because this song plays whenever the two hottest male characters are on the screen at the same time. Segway! Yes, the characters and story. Most people who've played FF13 hate the story, but like the characters. I never heard anybody say that. And most people who've played Star Ocean 4 hate the characters, but like the story. Okay, I'll give you that. Tales of Vesperia has the best of both worlds. It's Vanille Ocean! The story is your classic JRPG story with naive princesses, idiot swordsmen, and smart mages. It sounds tropalicious to me. It's actually pretty much all tropes, but they have taken steps to make those tropes not suck. <laughs> yeah, right. How they do that? Well, you know how in Japanese games there is often an annoying kid who talks funny and sounds like she's five, but then you look in the instruction manual and find out she's 15? Yes. How in the world could they possibly make that character not suck? Well, spoiler! Spoiler alert! This is a real story spoiler. If you do not want a big secret of the story revealed to you, fast forward about 15 seconds. Spoiler commences in 3, 2, 1... She turns out to be a legendary pirate ship captain who has killed hundreds and is feared by all. That... That's freaking genius! I know, right? There are also best friend rival characters, but no jealousy drama without emo, and more character development than a Mickey Mouse Club photo shoot. I tried to go to one of those once. Apparently, they only let you in if you're wearing pants. Unlike Xenosaga, which has a very small number of extremely long dungeons and cutscenes, Tales of Vesperia has tons of relatively short dungeons and literally millions of short cutscenes interspersed throughout the game. That's an exaggeration. Zoltan, I've told you at least a hundred billion times that I never exaggerate. So you were saying about character development? That there's a lot of it. Aside from the main story, cutscenes are these so-called skits, which are optionally viewable conversations between your party members. There are certainly well over a hundred of them, and in Japanese, the voice acting is so spot on that you actually want to watch every single one because the characters are just so damn charming. Charming like Charmin. Toilet paper humor. So how's the battle system? I'd give it a 2.25 pie. Two and a quarter pie? Pie? What the hell? It's pretty fun. It's very action-y. You can move freely in a 3D space when holding the free run button. When you release it, the camera positions itself so that you can move just left or right in a 2D fashion. There are, of course, things like an overdrive mode, special attacks that require magic points, and crazy huge super abilities that can only be activated in overdrive mode. 2.25 pi equals. 
You couldn't have simply said seven, could you? Well, it, it's not seven. It's 6.91149. Yeah, okay, okay. What's the downside of the battle system? It's button mashy. You mostly just slash away at your opponents and try to put special moves into combos. When you get powerful enough, you could just tank through hits. Or... You could always increase the difficulty. So it has selectable difficulty? That's right. There's easy, normal, hard, and... And... Yes? It's... It's, um... Easy, normal, hard, and... I don't know. Why don't you know? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I should know. I played it. For some reason... Some reason... I don't know. Okay, let's wrap it up. Graphics? Anime. Sound? Sakurapa. Story? Good. Gameplay? Traditional. Final comments? If you like any of the following, you will love this game. Extremely good-looking boys. Anime. Endings that pose as endings but are actually not endings. Dogs that smoke pipes. 100-hour-plus game clocks. Cleaning warehouses. Playing dress-up. Scantily clad elf chicks. Urinating all over the place, pressing the X button, lolly tavern wenches, and villains with perfect baritone voices. <laughs> now go gather up your friends and register your own guild. You could name it Brave Vesperia, or you could name it your RPG playing ass. Thank you, Legendary Zoltan. Oh, I love that wrap up at the end. <laughs> Cleaning warehouses. All right. So thank you. Um, if you would like to send in segments to the show like Zoltan does, you just email them to podcastrpgamer.com. That happens to be the same email address you use to send in normal feedback to the show, which we'll read here in the segment you just heard prior to the Zoltan's review of Vesperia. Uh, you can also call us at 608-729-4098. Hello, my and name why is the Legendary Zoltan. Zoltan's so nice he wanted to be played twice. Sorry about that. Um, let's see. Totally ruined my flow. Uh, so who here has played Vesperia? Anybody? No. If no. it would be Quinn. It would be Quinn. Yeah. He, yeah. I'm sure he played it, but maybe Alex did. No. Yeah, I've completed it twice. Well, there you go. He played it twice. Wait, you bought? You got it on the 360? Uh, yeah, I've got the 360 version. Oh, okay. So, do you agree with him? Uh, I probably like it more. Oh, yeah. I guess if you played and beaten it twice, then yes. Yeah. I think I like the story more. Little things. I think that's one of my. It's one. Of, I think it's my second favorite tale story after Symphonia. Hmm. All right. Uh, yeah. I, what was I going to say? Ah, oh, shoot! I lost it. What is the hardest difficulty? What was up with that? Is it just called question marks or something? Uh, I don't remember because I. <laughs> Nobody remembers. I, Never touched it. Nobody remembers. Okay. There's no way I was ever going to touch that. But it's question mark. I, think it's I want to say that Quinn played it on the highest difficulty because he was talking about playing some Tales game on the on the most intense difficulty. Well, who knows? Quinn probably Quinn did. I go back and forth out of the highest difficulty on Grace's yeah. F because that's a really. Sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it's hard. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, some of the uh, optional battles are ridiculous on Grace's F. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's that's it for feedback. Thanks, everybody, for writing in or calling in or sending your, your MP3 segments in. Um, let's move on to the news, everyone. Uh, this would be a good point if I knew the Tales of Asperia fight song or something. I could hum that. 
right. So first off, I want to plug our PAX East coverage. Um, which one? Wheels did it, right? Or what? No, it was uh, Trent. And Trent. Trent. Oh, it was, it was well, also Wheels was there as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. they both I did think it. Trent was there for most of it. I think Wheels turned up on one day or something. Wonderful. Um, so <laughs> Trent, uh, Trent and Wheels' name is Mike, right? Uh, yeah, yep. Mike. Yep. Mike. Yes. And our thoughts go out to Trent, who found out like as he landed for PAX that his grandmother passed away. Yes. Thank, uh, thank you for sticking through the event, Trent. Um, kind of surprised you were able to do that, but uh, uh, yes, thoughts and feelings with you on that. And Trent <laughs> turned around and wrote eight billion impressions after all that, and so you can see them all up on the site. We've got impressions of the following: The Elder Scrolls Online. Transistor, the new follow-up game to Bastion. Not a sequel, but their next game. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 1.5 HD Remix. <laughs> Deus Ex Human Revolution Director's Cut on the Wii U, right? That's the Wii U one, right? Yes. And then yep. uh, Telepath Tactics, which is... I don't, I know nothing about other than it's some new Kickstarter thing, right? So... <clears throat> uh, and... Dragon Fantasy Book 2, the follow-up to Dragon Fantasy, which will be coming out to on the PS3 and Vita. Wild... Now, some of those impressions were written by Wheels. Which? Like oh, the Dragon oh, Fantasy? Oh, Dragon, Dragon Fantasy was Wheels. Yeah. Um, that's the only one so far. Right. Okay. Uh, let's see. Pax East impression of Wildstar and another one by Michael, or Wheels, Penny Arcade on the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness 4. So we got all those up on our index right now. Go check them out and get your latest coverage of PAX East. All right, moving on. Uh, the first story is to reiterate that Transistor was announced, which is uh, Supergiant's follow-up to Bastion. Its hero is a woman named Red who comes in possession of a mysterious weapon, and she must then piece together a weapon's history and purpose while fighting off foes to, who hope to reclaim it. It's got a different battle system than, uh, than, uh, than Bastion, and they've got a trailer out, so go check that out. Anything to say? Anyone excited about a follow-up to Bastion? Or a new game from the Bastion developers, rather? No. Okay. Well, they should oh, have it's going to be a good game. It, it, it will great. probably be a good game. Yeah, it looks, it looks cool. Totori! Atelier Totori got a PSN release with no announcement whatsoever. So well, there's a press release on the Friday afterwards. Oh, on the Friday after they did it. Okay. Yeah. How, how useful. Atelier. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, in their defense, there are times that Sony puts stuff out on the PSN and doesn't tell the company. So put a press release out on the day of then. Yeah, if they catch it. <laughs> Everybody in the media caught it. <laughs> yeah, but then they have to write the press release and oh, it has to get approved. And yes. then it's distributed the next morning. If you send our press release at 3 in the afternoon, no one's going to pick it up. Yes, but PSN updates happen earlier in the week than Friday. Um. Okay. I thought it went <laughs> up on Thursday. Okay. It might have been Thursday. And right. also, it's also based in Europe, so they're fed next to day. Ah, uh, <laughs> all right. Why did everyone freak out about this? I rem- I, I wonder. Like the, the fact that there was no like I, I feel like a lot of games that companies that some companies maybe necessarily don't believe in or think are going to sell a ton of units don't exactly. Well, they this don't is a game that even. had a full retail release. I mean, and then but the news is that it's on oh, no, this is the Vita port of it. Oh, this is the Vita port. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, this wasn't even announced. That's why people freaked out. Like people would actually care about this, and it wasn't even announced. Like, even if you don't think it's going to do well to not even put out a press release, that's kind of weird. EA does it all the time. Hmm. I, I don't even think we this, we didn't even know this was going to come out in the West. 
So this is yeah, it's an enhanced port. It has new party members and recipes of since uh, over the basic Atelier Tutori from the PS3, and it has all the DLC from the PS3 version. It's available for forty bucks, thirty-five pounds, or forty euros, depending on your region. And up to f- April sixteenth, the download includes extra DLC featuring two swimsuit costumes for Tutori. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The, the Vita got a lot of love this week because it also got Disgaea 3. Uh, Disgaea 3 has been out on the Vita for a while, actually. Oh, um, but it was free for free, PlayStation Plus free members Free for this PlayStation week. Plus members, and so I right. downloaded that. That answered my question as far as should I play through my PS3 version of Disgaea 3 when I get to it or, my, or buy the Vita version. Now that I've got it for free, I'll be buying the Vita version or playing the Vita version. Now all I need them to do is put out uh, Disgaea 2 for PSP for, for free. That would uh, take care of that question. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? We have a Human Revolution on Wii U. That's a, an, an enhanced port with rebalanced boss battles and uh, a new interface that uses the gamepad and all sorts of stuff. And it doesn't look like that is going to be ported to any other platform. That is a Wii U exclusive at this time. So if you want an enhanced version of Deus Ex or you didn't play it, you might get a really good version on the Wii U, though I would wait to make sure they don't have frame rate issues like some of the other Wii U ports. Um, White Knight Chronicles. Here's some sad news for White Knight Chronicles fans, all three of them. The publisher of the two games, Sony and D3, have announced that they will be shutting down the servers for the two games on June 18th. This applies to both North America and European versions of the games, and it will be impossible to play multiplayer of either game after that happens. So that is your... yeah. We have one guy on the forums who completely (laughs) spazzed about this. Ah, really? And I I got curious. I started looking around on the forums to see, or on the the internet to see if anybody else cared. It's like eight people. Yeah. Well, you know, there are a lot of other games that you could play instead, and even cool (laughs) online Japanese-style games. Right, and I mean, I think it sucks for them, but I also think that... The problem is, is they're blaming the company like oh it's all their fault this is happening it's like the company is only going to keep an online service active if there's enough interest from the players and having 16 people play it is not enough interest for the publisher yeah it's not popular for a reason (laughs) (laughs) all right uh code of princess is finally coming out to europe uh, it's going to be on the N- European Nintendo eShop next or uh, this week. I guess it's out now. Um, the 3DS side-scrolling beat-em-up, which was initially announced for the region in February's Nintendo Direct presentation, was published by Atlas in North America, and it's 30, uh, 30 euros. came out on March 28th, and uh, we have a pre- review up of the North American version now. So if you're in Europe and you've been waiting for Code of Princess, go check that out. Um, so I actually want to sort of springboard a discussion about this since we have Alex on the podcast. Yes. So, Alex, um, I know a couple of publishers that I work with that um, have bounced around the idea of putting out some of their games in Europe as eShop exclusive English only. What do you think about that? Uh, I'm personally not too fast because as long as we get the games, I'm happy. Okay. So, I mean, in the case of Atlas, it's basically we have to wait a long time usually. Right. Okay. So, I mean, if it, if it gets, gets games like that here quicker, then yay. But. Okay. Okay. Um, 
if we have, I know we have European listeners, so you guys should definitely write in and, and give your opinion. I know we have people that their English is a second language for them. So I would love to hear from you guys too. Is there a reason why these games take so long to get over there? It's like, there's is there like this um, one overriding reason. Um, three reasons that I can think of. Number one, companies have to buy them for the region. And some publishers can be really, really unrealistic for the prices that they're asking for them. Like, um, I don't want to use like a real game example because I can't give real numbers. But it's like um, Joe Blow's car machine. If, you know, Marvelous sells it to Natsume for $7,000. And I'm, these are completely dumb numbers. And they want to – and Natsume expects to make a $5,000 profit off of – 300 copies. The problem is, is that when you then put it out in Europe, you have to translate it into six different languages. You have to get Peggy approval. You have to jump through a bunch of different um, red tape and organization hoops because you're putting it out in 12 different countries. So charging $7,000 for it, you're suddenly not making a $5,000 profit. You're making a $500 profit. And at that point, it's not worth it to the company. Does that Mm. make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay. So I'm surprised anything gets over there at all in this case. (laughs) Um, Companies have to wait until the publisher is willing to drop the price, and that takes time. Whether that is time just waiting for them to pay – waiting for them to offer it for less or negotiating it down. I mean both of those are going to take time no matter what. So even among all of Europe, the market for these games is still small? I'm not saying that's small necessarily. I'm saying because you have to translate it and work. No, I'm just wondering though, like, like they, because you may sound like a small amount of copies. So I'm just wondering. Well, she used fake numbers as well. I used fake numbers. But there's still a big market there for it. I think that there's an equal market to it for North America. Okay. The problem is, is that if you're selling, if you're selling five thousand copies in North America, you only have to translate it once. If you're selling 5,000 copies in Europe, you have to translate it six times. Do you have to translate into all those languages or is yeah. it just more it, to maximize? Well, it depends. It, it depends. I, mean, I think you, you sort of have to do manuals in, I think, there's six languages. Right. Your, your e-figs, no matter what, on the manuals. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, some of them, some of them to, do the entire thing. I right. Think, I think Namco do the tales and they actually, I think they actually dub it in French and Spanish as well. Right. And that's because there are French-speaking and Spanish-speaking countries that you can't release games in unless they are in that language. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's just there's stuff that needs to be changed. Like, for example, um, alcohol references are acceptable in an E and an E10 plus game in North America. They're not acceptable at all in European games in some countries. So, for example, Harvest Moon has wine. In the in the European versions, it's grape juice. But I mean, going through and changing all of that stuff is a big deal because you have to make sure you find all of the instances of it. Because if you miss one, Peggy will make you pull your game. They'll pull your game from the shelf and you have to dump it and reprint it. Ouch. That's no good. Yeah. So who doesn't allow references to wine? Some countries in Europe, I couldn't tell you which ones. Okay. I just know that that's a, an obstacle that has to be leapt. Um, 
and yeah, it's it's the 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 money and to the number of languages and distribution because because it's you know twelve different countries that you're basically dealing with. You're v- dealing with three dozen vendors, not to mention places that have to print because you can't always get the same printing house to do all of efigs. You'd think that there would be, but there actually isn't. Mm-hmm. So you have to get, you know, between distributors, printers, um, retail. Yeah, it's a mess. And it can be really intimidating to break into Europe. Especially if you're a North American company that doesn't have a European office. Cool. So, I mean, that isn't all the reasons, but those are the big ones that stick out in my mind. Right. Plus... Um, remember that just because a game is translated into English doesn't mean that another company can pick up that translation and use it. They have to retranslate it. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's another thing. Yep. Because I always see that, oh, it's already in English. What's taking so long? Because um, they have to translate hey, it. Hey, no. Sometimes we're able to do that. Like yeah, Exceed yeah. pulled over the European translations. Of yeah, the that's true. I Xenoblade mean, and stuff. They're, yeah, well, they're, thanks. You sort of have to read through it all anyway just to make sure right and i mean i think xseed changed all the britishisms right uh i don't i don't know because it was voice acted so they can't change all of them well no but i mean even if someone in voice acting says offense Mm -hmm. you're gonna spell it with a c yeah i don't know i can't and you're gonna spell it i I only have the european version of xenoblade so i couldn't tell you (laughs) yeah i'm not actually sure how it does because i've never actually noticed that sort of anyway so Right. I think I quite happy. I quite happily changed between the two. So I Cavalier claims they removed all the U's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, precious U's! All right. Official site opens for Final Fantasy X slash ten two HD remaster. So Screenix has its sites up for the games, which means they're talking about the U.S. versions, which will be just like the Japanese version. In that, the PS3 version will have both ten and ten two included, and the Vita version will have ten and ten two as separate titles for you to download and purchase. So. Unfortunately, they are not combining them for the U.S. market. Oh, no. All right, so that's news there. And then some Borderlands. If you've been uh, bored with Borderlands, there's a new DLC coming. Uh, they announced it at PAX East. The level cap will go up to 61. Uh, new pearlescent weapons. Uh, there's a fi- you know It's all in a $5 DLC update. The, some stuff will be free. Some stuff will be pay. Uh, and here's some details on that. So... Uh, free content adds new upgrades to the black market, uh, ultimate vault hunter mode, and uh, new backpack storage options. And let's see. Yeah, ultimate vault hunter mode is a third playthrough, and you have to at least be level 50 for it. And then the uh, $5 pack comes with the level cap. So, ooh, that's that's lame. You have to pay to get the new level cap. Uh, new still that that lets you have new skill points and the pearlescent weapons. And uh, there you go. And there's a new vault hunter named Krieg coming out in May. And of course, if you pot the season pass, this DLC update will be free for you. So, as well, well as Krieg. free in quotes. Well, you already <laughs> paid for it, rather. Um, Tales of Graces F is out on PSN in uh, North America, so you can now download it. It's uh, 35 bucks for the regular edition and 55 bucks for the Night Edition. Um, oh, it's also on Europe. Um, and the Night Edition yep. includes 10 DLC items that help you, including cr- increased health, money, and stats. And here's my question. I've gone on the PSN store looking for DLC to purchase for my Tales of Graces F game. I can't find any. Is my only way to get this DLC to buy that Night version of the game? Um, or did I just miss I thought, it? I'm pretty sure that 
the DLCs there in Europe. Okay. But I'm not sure now. I haven't actually checked. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really understand Tales of Grace's F DLC because, like, when I boot up the game, it says I, it's loading three pieces of DLC, and I I don't even know how to access that stuff. Um, so I'm not even sure what it's referring to. Um, yeah, I need some I think stuff like items, isn't it? Huh? Yeah, like costumes, actually. Oh, um, Is sorry, that... I haven't actually tried it yet. Mm, all right, well, someone will have to help me out on that. Moving on, Dragon's Crown finally has a release date. It'll be out this summer for the PlayStation 3 and Vita. Uh, it'll be a downloadable title and, of course, also a re- oh, it looks like it'll also be retail. 30, 40, bleh, $50 and $40, depending if you want the PlayStation 3 version, which will be 50 or the Vita version, which will be $40. Uh, includes six different characters to choose from. You can join up to three others online from the PS3 or through local... Mo- multiplayer only on the Vita, sadly. So it sounds like the PS3 version might be the one to get if you want to be able to play online. Uh, It does have cross-platform play. So I don't know how that works. I guess Vita local to PS3, uh, I I would assume. So there you go. And uh, Fantasy Star Online 2 has been delayed, even though it didn't really have a release date. So I don't know how that works, but it was planned for an early 2013 release. That ain't happening. So it's <laughs> just so you know, it came out in July 2012 in, in Japan on Windows and the Vita uh, in February 2013. Um, they have said it will not be releasing this spring, they being Sega, and no new date has been announced. So we have no idea what's going on with Fantasy Star Online 2 in the, in the U.S. It doesn't look good, though. Hopefully they will give us a date and ease the, uh, the concern. Yeah, I found the add-ons for Grace's F on the online store. Oh, good. They're sort, they're sort of hidden away. I think you actually have to go into the sort of full game itself and then select add-ons or something. Okay. Um, how much are they? Are they expensive? Uh, Would they add up get... to $20, which is the price difference between the two downloadable versions? Uh, looking at the British prices, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, I'll check those out. Uh, is it more stuff like... Is, is it more baloney where it's like um, you're buying level-ups? Uh, it, there's three different sort of 300,000 gowed ones. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> You, yeah, I think it's stuff like that. Uh, Although I don't think it's, I think I think it's level ups. It'll be more like uh, collections of healings or materials. Hmm, maybe. Oh I no, there are level ups. I found some level ups. Oh, you found some level ups. All right. <laughs> <laughs> one dollar and fifty nine pound. Oh, one pound fifty nine pence for the double skill points. Interesting. Yeah, hmm. over three pounds for ten level ups. Uh-huh. <laughs> Given how fast you level in that game, I don't know why you do that. All right, Atlas has announced it's developing Shin Sekai. Oh goodness, Shin Sekai Ju no Mekyu. <laughs> That's a hard one. <laughs> AKA Etrian Odyssey remake. Yes, an Etrian Odyssey <laughs> remake, and I don't know why it's called Shin Sekai Ju no Mekyu Me- <laughs> instead. But all right. Uh, it'll be out in Japan on June 27th. The reason I announce it here on the podcast, even though it's only announced for Japan so far, is that it's a remake of Adrian Odyssey, which is a very popular game, especially right now when people are playing the fourth one. Um, it's going to be handled by uh, Shigeo Komori, the director, Yuji Him- Himukai, the character designer, and Shin Nagasawa, the monster design, and Yuzo Koshiro, the composer who makes all that wonderful Adrian Odyssey music. Um, so check this out. 
The main character, who's named by the player, has been tasked by the Etria government to look into earthquakes and mysterious roars that have been reverberating across the land of Etria, along with his companions, Simon York, Arthur Charles, and Lacuna Sheldon. These are very un-Japanese names. Players travel into ruins, effectively finding a girl named Frederica Irving, who has lost her memories. You can change classes in this title, but your appearances don't change. Only the skills available to learn. Players will have the ability to use skill points to learn skills from each class. The skill points are rare, so it'll be up to the player to customize what skills the character learns. And you're going to get missions and quests from the Etrian government. And you also find new information, receive new equipment from them. And it will... yeah, blah, blah, blah. So what's uh, it sounds like this is going to be a more... They're remaking it. Um, for the 3DS and adding like voice acting and stuff and, and giving the characters more story and stuff. So that's why you can't like change the portraits and define your own characters like you usually could. But you can change classes. So that's how they, they kind of bring that back into the game. So that's kind of interesting. What do you think about taking an Etrian Odyssey game and making it more story driven? Nobody cares. Has anybody else well, played? I haven't played EO yet. No, I haven't either. Okay. So nobody's played anything. All right. <laughs> um all right then yeah. uh so let's see oh people are translating the tiled uh let's see the labyrinth of yigazil or world tree um but that's weird uh seikai is world shin means new so new world of what's meikyu then anybody know what meikyu is or new world or true world but wait, Shin Megami Tensei means what? Anybody know? Um, it's like the gods among us. True goddess metempsychosis. Okay, Thank so you. Shin is true in that case. All right. So I don't know. So so much for our on the fly j- translation. Where's Quinn when we need him? The next Atelier game is coming to Japan. If though the news that Atelier Tatori Plus was available for your Vita wasn't enough, we've got more. That's right, Atelier Aisha and Aisha E S C H A. How do you even say that? Escha. Aisha? No, it's not Aisha. It's Escha or Escha. Yeah. I point out that the the game name is actually a pun. Well, oh, really? Because and and is pronounced and is spelled two in Japanese, so it's actually Atelier Eschatology. Oh, what does Eschatology mean? Uh, I looks it up earlier. It's. <laughs> it, yeah, it's the department a, it's of. A, oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the, it's a belief to do. With I think it's around death, heaven, etc. Yeah, yeah eschatolo- eschatological meeting. Um, so let's see. The OED defines it as the Department of Theological Science concerned with the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So it's like the study of uh, religions and beliefs and faith and what happens after you die. Interesting. So, so <laughs> that's interesting. So Atelier Eschatology. Um, Alchemist of Dusk Sky has been announced through Famitsu, and it's got two protagonists. It's built on the Dynasty Warriors game engine. Okay, interesting. Um, it's going to come out June 27th for PS3. There'll be a limited edition. Um, Escamalier is the, the female protagonist. Logic's Fiscario is the male protagonist. And, you know, so the girl is all about... <laughs> I love this description. <laughs> She's a self-taught 15-year-old alchemist. She is pure-hearted and has a tail. The male protagonist is Logics. Uh, he's not very well versed in alchemy. He's 18 years old and is described as the game's dreamiest character. So whatever's going on there. Uh, there's a lot of characters. 
people from Atelier Aisha might appear. Uh, battles allow for six battle members, and you'll be able to choose between the two protagonists to use as a main character. And while the main story will remain the same, scenes might be seen from different points of view. Uh, scenes might be different and uh, different exclusive events for each storyline. So let's see. The alchemy will be based on the alchemy Atelier Aisha and have some graphical enhancements such as lip syncing and eye movements. And there'll be a download for the PS2 classic Manakemia 2 in the Japanese first-run copies of the game. So if you're an importer, jump on that first run. And yeah, sorry Cavalier in the chat room. It looks like the male protagonist has no tail because apparently that's important. I don't know. Yeah, right. but he does have a second characteristic, though. Oh, does he? What? His compensation. Well, no, he, just, well, he, oh, gets, he gets two is... descriptive words, but well, the other one just gets a character word and a tail. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's just, okay. He's a product of alchemy and fencing. Hmm. Or, or rather, his sword is. Okay, he's 18. Oh, whatever. <laughs> so it's another Atelier game. Look for it um, soon. Um, there is a bunch of websites announced for by NIS America. Um, why bother covering websites? I don't know. Why not? You know? No? You guys don't want to cover websites? All right. So what do we got? We've got the Guided Fate Paradox, Disgaea D2, A Brighter Darkness, and Time and Eternity. Um, let's see. So we've got the links to them all up on our site, and they are all three of the PlayStation... They're all three PlayStation 3 titles. They're coming out in North America and Europe. And uh, I don't know anything about Time and Eternity and the Guided Fate Paradox. Do you guys? Have we announced them on the uh, show before? Time and Eternity is Tokito Tower. Tokito Tower, Okay. It's, yeah, it's the one with the sort of really anime style. I think it's sort of it's sort of two D anime characters on a three D world. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know anything more apart from that. <laughs> and the guided fate paradox is the ZHP spiritual sequel. I think. Okay. Cool. Uh, all right. So what else we got? Ooh, Dungeon Defenders is getting a sequel. If you've been a fan of Dungeon Defenders, uh, like our the podcast on Michael Tidwell is, uh, you'll be happy that Dungeon Defenders is getting a sequel. So let's see. Trendy Entertainment's announced the sequel. It is uh, going to have richer lore and more story than the first one, which was very light on story. Uh, let's see. It'll cooperative mode and competitive mode. Um, so it'll be more because the first game was all like kind of co-op horde mode stuff. Um, it'll be free to play, so you won't have to buy the game this time. But it won't be pay to win, they claim. And there'll be a rotation of free heroes, and then you can buy additional heroes. So I guess it'll be more like a legal League of Legends model, where you can buy uh, your characters or uh, go through whoever's free for the week. Um, let's see. And what else do we know? Well, that's all we know for now. Um, it'll be out. F- uh, uh, let's see. What will it be out for? We don't know. So I assume PC and stuff first and then other platforms later. Uh, Dungeon Defenders 1 was originally supposed to be ported to the Vita, but they scrapped that. I didn't realize that. Interesting. The things you learn doing a podcast. All right. Star Wars The Old Republic gained 2 million accounts since going free to play. And they're receiving new customization options. So that's good, right, Anna? No? Maybe? Yeah. You'd yeah. rather know how, man, how much their concurrent number has gone up, though, right? Yep. Yeah. 
I don't know how much people their, are actually spending. Right, thousands? and I mean that's that's the thing is it's like okay, they have two million new registered users. That doesn't tell me how many of them logged on. It doesn't tell me how many people are on at once. It doesn't tell me the average play time per week, and it doesn't tell me how much money they're spending. Well, okay then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because all of those are more important metrics than how many accounts total you have. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Good Gmail, one billion accounts and growing. Um, Animal Jam, 10 million accounts and growing. Ooh. Twitter. You know how many accounts Twitter has? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, but these are all, like, all free services. You can make an account and never log back in. <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, this is sort of the problem. All right. Well, the game's getting double XP weekends, and there are new expansions coming out soon, Rise of the Hut Cartel, sometime this spring. So uh, we'll just leave uh, Star Wars alone for the moment and move on. Uh, Sacred Citadel. This is uh, the new Sacred game. Um, yeah, we saw this at PAX last year. Did we? It looks yeah. different than I remember. No, they were showing two Sacred games at PAX. Okay. And I think Sacred Citadel was the one outside, and the new Sacred game, oh, traditional, okay. was the one that we got to sit down and watch the demo okay, for. I'm more interested in that one. but Yeah, me too. All right, so Citadel, Sacred Citadel is kind of, think, Castle Crashers or Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, it's a sort of RPG beat-em-up. Um, so you'll have, uh, I don't know. So what, what do I even say here? Um, I should know what I'm talking about. You level up, you get you apply points to uh, attributes and choose how your character grows. You get new weapons and armor as drops from enemies. And uh, yeah, it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up, level up, kill stuff. And it's coming out, and it's set in the Sacred Universe. So, that's coming. Dustin Elysian Tale is finally getting off the Xbox. Coming to Steam. Uh, sometime in April is what they're hoping for. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, it's just going to be a straight-up port. And then he's going to probably start working on uh, Dust 2. Which At some point, I want to have like a podcast annex about Steam Greenlight. Yes. Uh, the thing about Dust, just getting back to that for a second, is that was supposed to also be, you know, the first part of a project that would eventually release result in a motion picture coming out. So I don't know what's up with that part of the of the thing. It seems like he's focusing on the game for now. Hmm. I don't know. All right. Moving on. To, oh, we already talked about that. Uh, Age of Wushu. That's a free to play that we've got a big long sit down you can watch from PAX last year. Um, or was it E3? I don't remember. It was E3. Oh. Well, we first talked about it at E3. I don't know. Did we get a video at E3? Well, I think we did. I th- well, yeah, it was I, one of those. I remember it was at E3 because we all got those little Wushu books. Yes. Okay. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Everyone has a Wushu book. Everyone I still go to events and I'll see people with their Wushu book taking notes. I don't. Oh, yeah. That's. Do I have that? I don't even know where that is mm-hmm. if I do have that. Is you it in the used box? it for your notes at E3. I did? Yeah. No, that was the Nexon book. Um, was it? I thought yeah. it was the Wushu book. Nah, I don't think so. Wait, the Nexon Moleskine? Yeah. I like that. Uh-huh. I like Moleskines for free. That's pretty good. Um, all right. Age of Wushu is uh, being announced to come in a special retail edition for 20 bucks. that includes, get this, 20 oh, excuse me, $80 worth of extras. 
So that's four times worth your money. Um, it's going to be a free-to-play title at launch, so hence you're wondering why the heck would I pay 20 bucks for a retail version? Because you get a bunch of extras. So you get uh, two months of VIP, some extra gold, 30 days of unique fashion sets, a 30-day unique mount, and 500 liang in silver. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> you get an exclusive mission, and uh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, your exclusive mission has Jet Li in it. Eh? So if you want to play, team up with Jet Li and save a village, you can do that by picking up the special retail edition. Uh, now, this if you're is wondering, not the first game to do this. Yeah. And some of the games that have done this have been really successful at it. Have they? Okay. Like Sword of the New World had a box edition. Yeah. Well, so, and they, they stopped doing it after a while, though. Right. Because the problem was is they couldn't um, – the company that they were using to distribute – suddenly jacked up the price for distribution. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. So the, the problems I see with this retail set is 30-day time limits on the mountain stuff. That's ridiculous. I, that's, I don't know that that's really good for an American audience, but you'd know better than I would, Anna. Um, and also, just to f- bring people in, Jet Li is the uh, worldwide face of Age of Wushu, so that's why he's in a mission here. They don't, they're not doing a lot of advertising with him here in this country, um, they see it a little bit, um, but he is—he's uh, kind of their sponsor or their their big famous name that they've hired to promote the game. So uh, that's uh, you probably see a lot more of that in the Asian countries. Anyway, that's uh, that's what's up with Age of Wushu. And finally, hey, yeah. Do you remember that movie? I think it was Mel Gibson, and he got electrocuted by a toaster in the bathtub or a hair dryer, and then he could no, and then he could read women's thoughts. Oh. uh... What women that, want. Yeah, did you know that they remade that in China? And I swear the main character, I swear Mel Gibson, is played by Jet Li. Okay. I'm not surprised. You know, Jackie Chan has a singing career in China. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. Wow. It's quite popular. It's, it's, it's a lot of stuff. It's like, a, I, th- I think in, uh, in China in particular, in Taiwan, you know, people are expect. It's not uncommon for your an actor to be like a triple threat or something—a dancer, or a singer, an actor, a spokesperson. Man, when is the next know, spokesperson is part of the triple threat? But all right. No, no, but it's like the thing about singing, dancing, acting. A lot of people do that. Okay, so this is new. Final Fantasy V has an iOS version, and it's yes, out. It in is the- fifteen. It is $16. There's good news. And it's it's universal. universal. Okay. And it includes new jobs such as Gladiator, Cannoneer, Oracle, and Necromancer. Okay. Those from the iOS version, right? Those are from the... I mean, not the iOS, the Game Boy Advance version. The Game Boy Advance version? No, two of those are from the Game Boy Advance version. And two of those are new? Right. Okay. I think. Which two are new? Well, I know the Cannoneer was in the Game Boy Advance one. Yeah, I I know that. Cannoneer and Oracle, I think, are the two that were from the GBA. Okay, what what were the four jobs? I don't know. Gladiator, Cannoneer, Oracle, and Necromancer. Yeah, Necromancer definitely sounds new. Yeah. So that'll be more stuff to deal with on the four-job Fiesta when that comes out this year. But problem is, they changed the graphics. They did a major graphical overhaul on this, and it looks weird. Yeah, a lot of people are not happy with it. On it Twitter, looks, people are saying this looks ugly. It looks worse. I mean, you know they did graphical overhauls for like the... PSP and uh, PlayStation versions of Final Fantasy 1 and 2, and that kind of made them look like Flash games, but they still looked like Final Fantasy characters. Here, they've got that Flash game kind of really hyped up 2D look, but losing some of its uh, uniqueness, and then it doesn't look like they're characters anymore. It doesn't look like 
even reminiscent of the characters from the original sprite models and it doesn't look like their art portraits either so it's like why do the characters look so strange do they look like their theatrhythm characters i don't know you'll have to i don't know if you click on that link and it'll take you to the itunes preview page and you can look through the screenshots um yeah it's strange um, but they added some features, which makes sense for being on iOS, uh, game center support achievements. And of course it's touchscreens controls and, um, yeah, it's universal. I would hope so. Touch yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Um, let's see. Ooh, looking at some reviews. They got three, five star reviews sitting here right on top. Updated port of the GBA version. This means it has the extra dungeon jobs and better translations. On top of that, the graphics have been given once over for the better. You know, maybe those jobs are all from the GBA version then. And I just don't realize it. Anyway, each new character is a new portrait drawn by the original artist, and they look great. And uh, the character models um, are different, but I noticed they are able to have a lot more expressions this way. Um, the soundtrack remains untouched, and I know a lot of people will be turned off by the price. Blah, 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 blah. Um, come on, SE. I'm a developer and know how easy it is to share a small amount of data in the iCloud between iOS apps. So someone's complaining that doesn't have I- iCloud support. You know, the funny thing is he says that I know how easy it is when... Uh this entire news week, the exact opposite is being said by every developer. This guy, developer. But this reviewer even includes like the, the, the API calls in his review. He says, you just use NSUbiquity container. Duh. <laughs> De- Which documents is funny because every data are single... Way- well, he's saying that documents and core data are harder to do, so this is pretty trivial. Uh, okay, whatever. Anyway. Well, I don't know. Well, maybe. Maybe it is easier, but then, you know, if you've been reading the news, Ars Technica... Uh, Siegel, uh, I forget his first name, and like a lot of other people have been doing exposés on how uh, Apple's iCloud is having its maps moment right now. Why is that? Well, just it's just everyone speaking out about how terrible iCloud is and how unreliable it is and how bad some of the APIs are and how bad the core data syncing is and just using trying to even implement it in general and testing it is so terrible. Syncing is hard. Well, this and how, and how Apple just doesn't get it because it's not part of their corporate culture. Ah, okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> this person's saying that you don't need to use... Well, it's one dude on yeah, a comment. He's a dude in a reviewer. We shouldn't trust anything he says. You're right. Um, the dragon model looks nice. I will say that. Here use model in uh, Final Fantasy V for the iOS. That looks pretty decent. Everything else, including the Chocobo, looks really wrong. Enemies look right, though. I don't know what's going on in this game. It does not look Final Fantasy. They made it look weird, like a generic RPG maker game. Okay. And that's the last story. Sorry to end on a downer. Do you got anything that I missed, Manny, that we should hit? Uh, let me check real quick. If Unless Anna wants to talk about something. No. All I'm right. sure you guys want to go. You guys got stuff to do, right? We got stuff to do. This is Anna's last day in town before she goes back home for a month and then comes back for the wedding. So... We're going to have some eh, fun. Forget it then. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Once again, feedback is RP, uh, podcast at rpgamer.com. Our forums are over at board.rpgamer.com. Post in the show thread, and uh, we'll read your feedback here on the show, potentially. And uh, call us, 608-729-4098. Um, Twitter. We're on Twitter, rpgamer. And we're on our Facebook at facebook.com slash rpgamer, right? And uh, what else? Anything else we need to plug? All right, go check out all our PAX coverage and everything else. And we will see you next week, everybody. Until then, thanks for sticking with us. And give us five-star reviews on iTunes because we kind of need some more. Thanks. We'll see you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.